Welcome back to the Hemingway List, the podcast of excellentness. Tonight's episode is brought to you by The Beverage Coffee, even though it's 10pm. Who cares? Who even cares anymore? Discussion prompts were these. Predictions. How will Mildred ruin Philip's life, or is it Philip ruining his own life? Lady Rostova said, Philip is definitely ruining his own life. The girl is just taking advantage of his stupidity. The minute she finds a better, richer guy, she's out, and Philip is going to be stuck with the child and her expenses. Mmm. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. You're probably not wrong. You can't really blame her for... Well, she is taking advantage, right? That is... Uh, it's both of their fault. They're both idiots. Uh, the podcast was very early today. Before noontime for me, I saw the notification and thought, oh, is it afternoon already? Yeah. Um, oh, I've got some shocking hay fever going on. Uh, yeah. It's a daily podcast, but there's no really specific time of the day. <laughs> It'll just come out on average once per day. Uh, sometimes I feel like doing it in sort of early afternoon, sometimes late afternoon, sometimes midnight, sometimes three in the morning. Um, I think it kind of has to be like that. Like if you're going to commit to do something every single day, you just need to be pretty flexible about it. So I hope that's not too inconvenient. Swim said the mama fishy said, I am on team. He is ruining his own life. Mildred is taking advantage of him, but yeah, he is letting her. Yeah, he kind of is willingly, what's the word? Uh, Willingly, willfully ignorant, I think is what I'm trying to say. There are telling lines in chapter 70 per novel guide. When he contrasts Mildred and Nora, he chooses Mildred, though she is not better, not the better person for him. The important thing was to love rather than to be loved, and he yearned for Mildred with his whole soul. He admitted that Mildred is heartless, vicious and vulgar, stupid and grasping, and yet it delighted him to perform menial offices. Um, yeah. Yep. Conclusive evidence. Referencing the podcast, trolling is so negative, but you have been teased. Ah, been teased in my own dojo. I knew, is that new? When did you add these Morgan handles? Um, tisk tisk, you got me. <laughs> uh, and Trepper said this: He is ruining his own life. He seems not only to be aware of it, but happy doing it. Griffiths, I also can't say Griffiths very well. I've noticed Griffiths did not know the delight of being so madly in love that it was like meat and wine, and the one air breathed, and whatever else was essential to existence. Griffiths knew that Philip had looked after the girl while she was having her baby and was now going away with her. Well, I must say, you've you've deserved to get something, he remarked. It must have cost you a pretty penny. It's lucky you can afford it. I can't, said Philip, but what do I care? Yeah, that line struck me as well. Philip is being stupid in many ways, and one of them is with his money. He's so uh, just awestruck. He's so smitten with uh, Mildred that he's just he doesn't care about his own well-being financially or otherwise I found this line hilarious says Intrepper he turned to her and tried to look deep into her eyes 
He tried to look deep in her eyes, implying that he failed. I think that's because there was nothing deep in them. <laughs> yeah, maybe. There's just no depth to them. Or, yeah, implying that, you know, she's kind of superficial, surface level. There's no depth there. Or maybe I thought she kind of avoided his eyes. Um, Stacey, I said, I agree. That line was hilarious and you are right. Nothing remotely deep about these two. Philip does seem rather happy about his choices this far. Mildred doesn't need to do anything further to ruin his life. He does a good job of that himself. They are both as bad as each other. Seems they are only existing together because it's comfortable and inconvenient. And convenient, not inconvenient. Uh, as they both know what to expect from one another. How sad just to exist and not to live. I think Philip needs to sit and have a think about his direction over a good egg. <laughs> it's been a while. Maybe that's the solution. An egg. And a um, Persian carpet. Alright, that's the discussion. I can't really remember much about yesterday's chapter. She gave up the baby very easily. And then they discussed going to Paris. She insisted that she was excited to do it, but also kind of there was some vague hints that maybe she wasn't as excited about as it as Philip. Right? Is that about it? Alright, let's keep going. Um this chapter is called Chapter seventy four. The following Saturday Mildred returned and that evening Philip kept her to himself. He took seats for the play and they drank champagne at dinner. It was her first gaiety in London for so long that excuse me that she enjoyed everything ingenuously. She cuddled up to Philip when they drove from the theatre to the room he had taken for her in Pimlico. Wait, where are they? They're in London still. Okay. I really believe you're quite glad to see me, he said. She did not answer, but gently pressed his hand. Demonstrations of affection were so rare with her that Philip was enchanted. I've asked Griffiths to dine with us tomorrow, he told her. Oh, I'm glad you've done that. I wanted to meet him. Ah, oh, yeah, that reminds me. Griffiths was Philip's friend who he was so chuffed and excited to introduce to her. And I feel like something's going to go down there. Like he's going to end up being jealous of his own friend or something like that. There was no place of entertainment to take her to on Sunday night, and Philip was afraid she would be bored if she were alone with him all day. Griffiths was amusing, he would help them to get through the evening, and Philip was so fond of them both that he wanted them to know and to like one another. He left Mildred with the words, only six more days. They had arranged to dine in the gallery at Romano's on Sunday because the dinner was excellent, because the dinner was excellent and looked as though it cost a good deal more than it did. Philip and Mildred arrived first and had to wait some time for Griffiths. He's an unpunctual devil, said Philip. He's probably making love to one of his numerous flames. But presently he appeared. He was a handsome creature, tall and thin. His head was placed well on his body. It gave him a conquering air, which was attractive, and his curly hair, his bold, friendly blue eyes, his red mouth, were charming. Philip saw Mildred look at him with appreciation, and he felt a curious satisfaction. Griffiths greeted them with a smile. "'I've heard a great deal about you,' he said to Mildred, as he took her hand. "'Not as much as I've heard about you,' she answered. "'Nor so bad,' said Philip. "'He has been blackening my character.' Griffiths laughed, and Philip saw that Mildred noticed how white and irregular his teeth were, and how pleasant his smile. 
You ought to feel like old friends, said Philip. I've talked so much about you to one another. Griffiths was in the best possible humour, for having at length passed his final examination, he was qualified and had just been appointed house surgeon at a hospital in the north of London. He was taking up his duties at the beginning of May and meanwhile was going home for a holiday. This was his last week in town and he was determined to get as much enjoyment into it as he could. He began to talk the gay nonsense which Philip admired because he could not copy it. There was nothing much in what he said, but his vivacity gave it point. There flowed from him a force of life which affected everyone who knew him. It was almost as sensible as bodily war warmth. Mildred was more lively than Philip had ever known her, and he was delighted to see that his little party was a success. She was amusing herself enormously. She laughed louder and louder. She quite forgot the genteel reserve which had become second nature to her. Presently Griffith said, I say, it's dreadfully difficult for me to call you Mrs. Miller. Philip never calls you anything but Mildred. I dare say she won't scratch your eyes out if you call her that too, laughed Philip. Then she must call me Harry. Philip sat silently while they chatted away and thought how good it was to see people happy. Now and then Griffiths teased him a little, kindly, because he was always so serious. I believe he's quite fond of you, Philip, smiled Mildred. He isn't a bad old thing, answered Griffiths, and taking Philip's hand he shook it gaily. It seemed an added charm in Griffiths that he liked Philip. They were all sober people, and the wine they had drunk went to their heads. Griffiths became more talkative and so boisterous that Philip, amused, had to beg him to be quiet. He had a gift for storytelling, and his adventures lost nothing of their romance and their laughter in his narration. He played in all of them a gallant, humorous part. Mildred, her eyes shining with excitement, urged him on. He poured out anecdote after anecdote. When the lights began to be turned out, she was astonished. My word, the evening has gone quickly. I thought it wasn't more than half past nine. They got up to go, and when she said goodbye, she added, I'm coming to have tea at Philip's room tomorrow. You might look in if you can. All right, he smiled. On the way back to Pimlico, Mildred, talking of nothing but Griffiths, talked of nothing but Griffiths. She was taken with his good looks, his well-cut clothes, his voice, his gaiety. I am glad you like him, said Philip. Do you remember you were rather sniffy about meeting him? I think it's so nice of him to be so fond of you, Philip. He is a nice friend for you to have. She put up her face to Philip for him to kiss her. It was a thing she did, rarely. I have enjoyed myself this evening, Philip. Thank you so much. Don't be so absurd, he laughed, touching her, sorry, touched by her appreciation so that he felt the moisture come to his eyes. She opened her door and just before she went in, turned again to Philip. Tell Harry I am madly in love with him, she said. All right, he laughed. Good night. Next day, when they were having tea, Griffiths came in. He sank lazily into an armchair. There was something strangely sensual in the slow movement of his large limbs. Philip remained silent while the others chatted away, but he was enjoying himself. He admired them both so much that it seemed natural enough for them to admire one another. He did not care if Griffiths absorbed Mildred's attention. He would have her to himself during the evening. He had something of the attitude of a loving husband, confident in his wife's affection, who looks on with amusement while she flirts harmlessly with a stranger. But at half-past seven he looked at his watch and said, It's about time we went out to dinner, Mildred. 
There was a moment to pause and Griffiths seemed to be considering. Well, I'll be getting along, he said at last. I didn't know it was so late. Are you doing anything tonight? asked Mildred. No. There was another silence. Philip felt slightly irritated. I'll just go and have a wash, he said. And to Mildred he added, Would you like to wash your hands? She did not answer him. Why don't you come and dine with us, she said to Griffiths. He looked at Philip and saw him staring at him somberly. I dined with you last night, he laughed. I should be on my way. I should be in the way. Oh, that doesn't matter, insisted Mildred. Make him come, Philip. He won't be in the way, will he? Let him come by all means if he'd like to. All right, then, said Griffiths promptly. I'll just go upstairs and tidy myself. The moment he left the room, Philip turned to Mildred angrily. Why on earth did you ask him to dine with us? I couldn't help myself. It would have looked so funny to say nothing when he said he wasn't doing anything. Oh, what rot. And why the hell did you ask him if he was doing anything? Mildred's pale lips tightened a little. I want a little amusement sometimes. I get tired always being alone with you. They heard Griffiths coming heavily down the stairs and Philip went into his bedroom to wash. They dined in the neighbourhood in an Italian restaurant. Philip was cross and silent, but he quickly realised that he was showing to disadvantage in comparison with Griffiths, and he forced himself to hide his annoyance. He drank a good deal of wine to destroy the pain that was gnawing at his heart, and he set himself to talk. Mildred, as though remorseful for what she had said, did all she could to make herself pleasant to him. She was kindly and affectionate. Presently Philip began to think he had been a fool to surrender to a feeling of jealousy. After dinner, when they got into a hansom to drive to a music hall, Mildred, sitting between the two men of her own accord, gave him her hand. His anger vanished. Suddenly, he knew not how, he grew conscious that Griffiths was holding her other hand. The pain seized him again violently. It was a real physical pain, and he asked him, and he asked himself, panic-stricken, what he might have asked himself before, whether Mildred and Griffiths were in love with one another. He could not see anything of the performance on account of the mist of suspicion, anger, dismay, and wretchedness which seemed to be before his eyes, but he forced himself to conceal the fact that anything was the matter. He went on talking and laughing. Then a strange desire to torture himself seized him, and he got up, saying he wanted to go and drink something. Mildred and Griffiths had never been alone together for a moment. He wanted to leave them by themselves. I'll come too, said Griffiths. I've got rather a thirst on. Oh, nonsense. You stay and talk to Mildred. Philip did not know why he said that. He was throwing them together now to make the pain he suffered more intolerable. He did not go to the bar, but up into the balcony, from where he could watch them and not be seen. They had ceased to look at the stage and were smiling into one another's eyes, Griffiths was talking with his usual happy fluency, and Mildred seemed to hang on his lips. Philip's head began to ache, frightfully. He stood there motionless. He knew he would be in the way if he went back. They were enjoying themselves without him, and he was suffering, suffering. Time passed, and now he had an extraordinary shyness about rejoining them. He knew they had not thought of him at all, and he reflected bitterly that he had paid for the dinner, and their seats in the music hall. What a fool they were making of him. He was hot with shame. 
He could see how happy they were without him. His instinct was to leave them to themselves and go home, but he had not his hat and coat, and it would necessitate endless explanations. He went back. He felt a shadow of annoyance in Mildred's eyes when she saw him, and his heart sank. You've been a devil of a time, said Griffiths with a smile of welcome. I met some men I knew. I've been talking to them and couldn't get away. I thought you'd be all right together. I've been enjoying myself thoroughly, said Griffiths. I don't know about Mildred. She gave a little laugh of happy complacency. There was a vulgar sound in the ring of it that horrified Philip. He suggested that they should go. Come on, said Griffiths. We'll both drive you home. Philip suspected that she had suggested that arrangement so that she might not be left alone with him. In the cab he did not take her hand, nor did she offer it, and he knew all the time that she was holding Griffiths. His chief thought was that it was also horribly vulgar. As they drove along, he asked himself what plans they had made to meet without his knowledge. He cursed himself for having left them alone. He had actually gone out of his way to enable them to arrange things. "'Let's keep the cab,' said Philip, when they reached the house in which Mildred was lodging. "'I'm too tired to walk home.' On the way back, Griffiths talked gaily and seemed indifferent to the fact that Philip answered in monosyllables. Philip felt he must notice that something was the matter. Philip's silence at last grew too significant to struggle against, and Griffiths, suddenly nervous, ceased talking. Philip wanted to say something, but he was so shy he could hardly bring himself to, and yet the time was passing and the opportunity would be lost. It was best to get at the truth at once. He forced himself to speak. "'Are you in love with Mildred?' he asked suddenly. "'I?' Griffiths laughed. "'Is that what you've been so funny about this evening? "'Of course not, my dear old man.' "'He tried to slip his hand through Philip's arm, "'but Philip drew himself away. "'He knew Griffiths was lying. "'He could not bring himself to force Griffiths "'to tell him that he had not been holding the girl's hand. "'He suddenly felt very weak and broken. "'It doesn't matter to you, Harry,' he said. "'You've got so many women. "'Don't take her away from me. "'It means my whole life. "'I've been so awfully wretched.' His voice broke, and he could not prevent the sob that was torn from him. He was horribly ashamed of himself. My dear old boy, you know I wouldn't do anything to hurt you. I'm far too fond of you for that. I was only playing the fool. If I'd known you were going to take it like that, I'd have been more careful. Is that true? asked Philip. I don't care a twopenny damn for her. I give you my word of honour. Philip gave a sigh of relief. The cab stopped at their door. Oh, all right, there we go. There's another chapter done for you. Philip is uh, not having a good time. Poor old Philip, torturing himself like this. All right, have your say over at the subreddit. Thank you very, 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 very much for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.